Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. Isaiah 60, uh, you're going to find that on the Pew Bibles on page 525, I believe. And uh, I want to just start us off this morning as you're turning there. Uh, I'm going to start off right away with just going before the Lord, and then we'll, we'll read uh, chapter 60, that glorious passage this morning. So uh, will you join me as we go before the Lord and, and thank Him for His Word? Father God, thank you this morning that we can gather Isaiah 60 reads this way. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And the nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see, they all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exalt, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, and the wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall come to you, the young camels of Midian and Ephra, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news and praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Cater shall be gathered to you, and the rams of Nebai shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance by unacceptance by, on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud, like the doves to the, their windows? For the coastland shall hope for me, and ships from Tarshish first to bring your children from afar. Their silver and their gold with them, 
in the names of the Lord your God or and or the Holy One of Israel because he made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls and their kings shall minister to you for my wrath in my wrath I struck you but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually day and night they shall not be shut that people may bring to you the wealth of nations which the kings led in processions for the nations for the nations and kingdoms that you will that will not serve you shall perish those nations shall be utterly laid to waste but the glory of Lebanon shall come to you the cypress the plain the pine to beautify the place of my sanctuary and I will make the place of my feet glorious the sons of those who afflict you shall come bending low to you and all who despise you shall cry, call to your city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, with no one pressing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of the nations, you shall nurse on the breast of the kings, and you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteous. Violence shall no more be heard in your land. Devastation and destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Your sun shall be no more. Your light by day, no brightness shall be. God will be your glory. Your sun shall be shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be an everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous, and shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hand, that I might be glorified. The least shall be deemed mighty, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Isaiah 60 for us this morning. This book, or this joyous uh, proclamation of God's dawning glory, that's the message title this morning, is God's glory dawns, is what we're looking at. God is dawning. He's the sunlight that is rising upon us. And this is really a glorious chapter in the book of Isaiah. Most of you know we've been journeying through Isaiah, and if you remember this book, and, and you remember kind of how this book has gone over the last several months, we started out back in the beginning of Isaiah, and, and in chapter 6, we kind of get the, the big launching point of the book, where God gives Isaiah a vision of his glory. Isaiah gets to peer into uh, the heavens, into the throne room of God, and there Isaiah, he, he's, he sees like the sun so bright that he can't even look at it, that he has to turn away or he bows down, and all he can see is the seraphim. He can't look directly at the Lord. The seraphim are saying what? Holy, holy, holy. The Lord, the earth is full of his glory. It speaks of this glory of the Lord that is shining to Isaiah. 
from there we launch to know that God is glorious and he's holy and he's great. But Isaiah's got a really tough message. He's going to preach to the people hard words of judgment. And yet he's going to preach comfort in the middle of the book. And now, as we continue on, it's coming to land in these last six chapters with the dawning of that glory. It's no longer just in the throne room, but it's now coming and landing amongst the people. Or as he says here, it's dawning openly. The sun is starting to rise on these people. And like the sunrise, we should be excited because it's a new day. It's something exciting that we long for. It's kind of ironic that we are, are, are having this message the week after Daylight Savings Time, right? Because how many of you, like myself, have all of a sudden looked at the clock and said, how is it only 5 o'clock? It's already dark outside. Well, we've all felt that this week, and already what are you doing? You're saying, I'm longing, I'm wanting the day when spring comes and it's light more. We long and we know and we get excited about daylight. And here it is, God's promise for daylight. But it's not the sun. It's His glory that's shining. Now in the context of this historical book, some 2,700 years ago, we can ask, well, who is He talking to? What is, what is the outcome? Or who is, who is this written to? The first generation of people that would have gotten this, they would have been a people maybe a generation removed from Isaiah and he's prophesying ahead uh, of a time when the people will come back from their bondage and their, their building, their place of worship will be built up again and their city will be built up again. So we can ask the question, is this speaking to guys like Zerubbabel and Ezra? Guys like Haggai, the, the prophet who came back and were living after they'd come out of exile from Babylon? Is it talking to them? They built up their temple. They, they built up a place where people would come to worship God. But it wasn't, it doesn't have this majestic tone that we just read there. Or, or more likely, the, the more popular name that you might know is Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he did what? He came back, uh, he came back to Jerusalem to build up the wall. You heard that thing in there talking about the walls that they built up. Nehemiah did that and constructed the walls and the gates. And we know that he was broken because the city was protected. Is that what he is talking about here? Again, I would say no, because as we read this message and we compare it with what historically happened for Israel when they came back from Babylon, this story, what we just read, chapter 60, becomes a much grander rebuilding, a grander dawning of God's glory over his people. It eclipses really fast the historical events that happened years before Jesus came. During the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, names that we can go look to in our book. So what is he talking about? What is he pointing forward to, this glorious time of dawning? When will it happen? Well, if you keep your, page, your finger in, page, uh, in Isaiah 60, you can turn all the way back to the back of your Bible. Go to Isaiah, or sorry, Revelation 21. Revelation 21, it's the second to last chapter of your Bible, and it's speaking of uh, similar, in similar tones, uh, of a kingdom coming, a new heaven, a new earth, something being built up, and the nations coming in. This week in your readings, you'll, I actually gave you three days to kind of spend time going through Revelation 21. Compare it.
Isaiah 16, you'll see many of the same tones. Uh, Isaiah is speaking of something that is utterly in the future, forever, God's culmination of his kingdom on earth. And he's speaking of a time that we all should look forward to. Something much greater than we could ever imagine. That's what we long for, but I would also comment that that while it's still ahead, there's also an aspect of this dawning glory that we can also see in the Gospels that has come now. I wasn't sure where to put this in the message. But this idea of God's glory dawning and God's glory coming that we see in Isaiah 60, we also hear these words coming off of, uh, from the book of John as well. John 1, which speaks in the introduction, John 1, verse 4, it says, in him was life, and speaking of Jesus. And the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skipping down to verse 14 of John 1, it says this, The word became flesh, again talking about Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, the Father, full of grace. Isaiah 60 is speaking of something forward. In, in part, it's going to happen in the future when God culminates and finishes stuff up and, and, and goes into eternity, new heaven, new earth. But in part also, John speaks that this part has already begun. The glory of God has already started to dawn. And we're somewhere in that time between the dawning when Jesus showed up and the ultimate time when the sun will fully be above us set eternity. Those set up the context of this passage from Isaiah as being for us in the church age something that we look forward to but something that has begun already. God's kingdom is coming. His glory is gone. So this morning as we go through this text what I want to give us is four things that we see the text doing. Four uh, kind of things that the, the dawning of glory is doing for us, and then after that I'm going to have just a few quick applications as we see where we look. Again, being reminded that this is something that Isaiah is speaking to look forward to, but yet we trust is already starting to happen. Look with me at verse 1 through 3. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. Here we see that glory dawns to shine on us. He goes, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It's come upon you. It is shining in the window, and it is warm, and it is good. Those words arise and shine. I don't know if any of you parents have done this to your kids, but when your kid is sleeping in and he, and he isn't getting up after a long night or he was up too late, and you pull open the curtains, you say, rise and shine. It's a beautiful day. It's time to go. That's what the author is doing here. He's saying, rise and shine. God is doing something good, and it's time to get up and at him. So when you say that to your kids, remember that that's not a new uh, word. That is something that Isaiah coined 3,000 years ago. He's shining on us. His light, his glory. It's as if we have the, the sun coming through the window, and we feel that glorious warmth. And it's not just light. It's, it's tangible. Feel its warmth. It's, there's something in this that this glory that's showing us has a weightiness to it. And we feel 
again, it's not the sun. It's the glory of the Lord. The glory that Isaiah saw is now coming upon us. It has dawned. It has dawned that we need to see this in contrast to what we saw last week. Last week we saw us stumbling, blind, tripping over the the thing that we should see in front of us. It, It spoke of that, and now it's saying, no longer are you blind. No longer do you not know how to make the good fight. You can see because God's glory is upon you. The darkness in our lives should be fleeing away as this sun is coming upon us, as His glory is coming upon us. And here it contrasts that with the work of the Lord, or with the other world, the rest of the world. That the nations shall see and come to your light. Verse 2. The kings, kings of the brightness of your rising. The idea here is that this dawn, this glory that's coming, God's glory coming upon us, is not just for ourselves. It's not just shining on us for us to just kind of hold on to and cling. But the idea of what Isaiah is saying is as the glory of the Lord dawns and shines on you, God is actually not just shining on us, He's actually transforming us. Think of us in the terms of He is making us into some kind of mirror or some kind of reflective uh, uh, agency where we now are reflecting that glory out into the world around us. We are reflecting it out so others who are in darkness can equally see. As if they were in a cave and they're blind and they can't see anything and suddenly we show up with the glory of the Lord so the world will come and be drawn towards us. God wants to transform us. And and what that means for us immediately is that we need to look up to rise and shine. There's a command there of what we need to do. We should all be living and growing and waking up looking for God's glory and being with Him and spending time with Him so that we can reflect that to our world. We are called to shine and be light into the darkness of this world. The glory dawns to shine in us and for us to shine into the world. That moves us to what is going to happen as we are doing that, as the gospel is being reflected off of us, we then see that this glory dawns to bring people to worship. Look with me at verse 4 to 9. That starts off, Lift up your eyes from all around you and see. It's as if it starts off to say, you need to lift up your eyes. You need to look up because right now you're staring at your shoes or, or you're staring at your phone and just wandering through life and not seeing what God is up to. We've all seen those videos on YouTube of people like watching their phones, right? And they crash into something. It's as if he's calling us to say, you're going to crash if you keep looking down. Look up and see this great thing that God is doing. You're missing something great here. Look up. People are coming to you. People are coming to the Lord. People are coming to worship. Verse 4. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exalt, and because of the abundance of the sea shall be turned, and the wealth of the nation shall come to you. This is us being alert to the fact 
that witnesses are going out in the world. The mission of God is going out, and people in the world are coming to know Jesus. They are coming to worship and turn from their darkness towards the light and coming themselves to gather together. It says they're coming from all over. They're coming from distant lands, verse 9. It's speaking of Tarshish, and it's speaking of all these other places around the world that are being drawn in. And we know that it is true as we look around the world. It may not look like people are coming to know Jesus here, but I promise you, they are. And more importantly, from all over the world, people are coming to know this glory as it dawns in the world. We pray for missionaries every week, and we know that they are speaking the gospel news of Jesus in places that have never heard it. And there are stories of people being gathered in. And this is what Isaiah is talking about here. There are people that are going to come and worship this God who is light. What's our reaction to that? Verse 5. He says, You shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exalt. Or or the New New, uh, International Version says that your heart will throb and swell with joy. This should be a joyous thing. We should have joy as we look up and we see God working in our world, that people are worshiping Him. We can even look around in our church here and see each of us worshiping God this morning, and that should be a joyous thing. I I think of it, uh, I wish he was here this morning, but I love Edna. I love Edna because afterwards the service, and and usually if you catch her, she'll she'll pull you aside. She says, look at it. Look at all the people here. Isn't this wonderful? You've heard her say that, right? This is awesome. People coming and gathering and worshiping together as a body. Our Our hearts should throb and swell at what God is doing, bringing people to himself, including us. What's more is is that this is essentially like what we're going to experience in a, a couple weeks, Thanksgiving dinner, right? Stan and I, we're going to go to Thanksgiving in South Dakota, and we'll show up there, and, and, and we'll go, and we'll walk in the door, and, and the family will be excited, and they'll welcome us and give us an embrace, and, 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 they'll, and then all of a sudden, as those hugs are ending, we'll turn around, and all of a sudden, another cousin will come in. And we'll go and turn and hug them and welcome them and say, it's so excited. We're excited to have you here. God is, God's light is dawning and it's bringing family. It's bringing sons and daughters. It's bringing God's people together for his name, to worship. But it's not just the people that we like in this room. It's not just the people that we think are obvious, like the sons and the daughters that we read about in verse 4. It's also, and this is a a point that I caught from one preacher in this text, verse 7. All the flocks of Kedar, all the rams of Nebuchadnezzar. Now I would give, I would give, I don't know, something, a prize to the person that can tell me who Kedar and Nebuchadnezzar are. That's a Bible trivia question that we, we probably don't know. Those are the sons, according to Genesis 25, of Ishmael. The promise of God's people, the promise of Abraham, was given to Isaac. But here, it's talking about the sons of Ishmael, the half-brother of Isaac, the one who was sent away. His sons are now coming to worship. It's those that are far off, the ones we wouldn't expect, the ones who are distant from God, 
who we wouldn't expect, they're also coming to worship God. And I think that's important for us today as we look around and say, they're not like me. They're too far from God. I wouldn't expect them to come in. But those are exactly the people that we should say, am I praying for them? Am I trying to reflect the light of God to them? Am I trying to draw them to God? There's a point to consider for us this morning. We should be considering who is it that God would want us to reflect to, not just the people we like, but the people who are different from us. They're coming and they're bringing things. These people are worshiping and they're bringing things. They're bringing camels, gold, and frankincense. By the way, that's probably why the uh, wise men were bringing that to Jesus from this passage. They're bringing flocks and rams, and they're all bringing something. Again, think about your Thanksgiving dinner. That we always we know that that there will be people that will bring meals. Someone will bring the pumpkin pie. Someone will bring the turkey. And I hope that Susanna brings the sweet potatoes that I like. And I hope she doesn't rash me. We know that to Thanksgiving you bring a dish. And in the same way, God's people are not just coming themselves to worship. They're bringing things to offer. They're bringing things to give, to build up the body, to serve. And when we gather here as a people together, we bring our offerings. We bring our talents. We bring our time to serve in the nursery or, or to serve at a lunch. But we welcome our neighbor and say, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? These people are bringing things, and as God's glory is dawning, what we can tangibly see is that is reflective in how we serve each other now as we come to worship. The text moves on. It talks about the worship and this picture of worship that's being built and, and is the growing of the Lord and is ultimately going to be fulfilled in, in ahead of us uh, for eternity. But it speaks also of a city being built. This glory is dawning. The sun of God is rising upon us to build a city for God's people, a dwelling place for us for eternity. Verse 10 through 11. It says, Their foreigners shall build up your walls, and the king shall minister to you. Uh, for in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continuously. Day and night they shall not be shut that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations, that their kings may take possession. It's speaking of walls and gates being built up. Now in this time, what were walls and gates for? They were being built up to protect the people. A king would build his kingdom and he would build a wall around the city to protect the people from outside enemies, from outside invasions. Nehemiah went back to building the wall. But here we get this picture of foreigners coming in and wanting to build, uh, build up this city and build up a place that protects us. God has that picture in eternity. That He is building us a place where we are protected, where we are sheltered, where we are cared for, where we no longer will have tears and fear. We will live with our King protected. Note that it's not just God that's building it. It's foreigners. It's people. It's people that God has brought in, and they are the ones that are building the protection. 
God is using to build up his city to protect them. That's an important note because I think that we are participants. We are ones that participate in the building up of God's city. And I don't know how that's going to work in eternity. God didn't give me a play-by-play on that one. But here, what I believe even now is we are part of the church, and we are building up His city, His dwelling place, the church, the family of God, to protect each other from the enemy, from attacks. That's why we pray. That's why we encourage one another. That's why we meet and we talk and we talk about our faith, or at least we should, because those are walls that protect us from the enemy. God is doing that. His glory is dawning so that we can be safe in the family of God as the people of God here gathered as the body of Christ. But note that there's always open gates. And those gates are open consistently. Now, that sounds like it's letting the enemy in, but what it actually, the idea that is there is that people, there's going to be such a wide stream of people that people are going to rush in and want to be part of this. They're going to see what God has done, and they're going to want to be part of it so much that the, the gates can't even close. I think of the book of Acts where we see thousands being added to God's people. They want to become part of the church. And God is working in great ways where he's building up the body as the gospel is going out. Gates are open for people to come in and accept the Lord based on what he's done. This is a joyous event. It's something to celebrate as people are pouring in and helping and serving and building. But it hinges upon what God has done. struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. As people understand the gospel message, that here we have a people who had rebelled against them, who had gone their own way. We read about that in Isaiah 52 and 53. They've gone after their own path, and yet God stepped in and gave his servant to take the wrath of God, to, to rescue them, to bring them back, to show mercy on them. That's the kind of God that people want to worship. A God that said, I need that compassion. I want to worship a God who forgives and brings back and shows compassion and mercy. I want to be part of that city. As the gospel goes out and speaks of that, people will want to be part of that community as we proclaim. But there's a dark warning also in this part of the verse. Verse 12. It says, For the nations and the kingdoms that will not serve you shall perish. These na- those nations shall be utterly laid to waste. This isn't a universal everyone is in the city for all time and eternity. Those who choose not to participate, those who choose to go their own way and continue to try to keep their own kingdoms, God says that this window will close. Eventually the gates will not be open any longer and for them they will be crushed. That's a dire warning for any of us that have not made Jesus our Lord. It's a warning that says, I need to be a, a kingdom person. I want to follow this God. I don't want to be on the outside looking in. And what's more for us that have trusted Christ, 
it gives us more reason to say, I don't want my neighbor, my friend, my family member to be on the outside of this story. And I just want to take that glory that we have experienced and reflect and speak it into the lives of others. The fourth thing that we see this morning in this text, final idea, is that the glory the glory dawns to accomplish perfect salvation. The glory dawns to accomplish perfect salvation. It's dawn to shine in us. It's dawn to bring people to worship. It's dawn to build up a city, and ultimately, it, it dawns so that we can know perfectly that God has rescued us. Verses 15 to 22. It speaks kind of in three phases. First, whereas you have been forsaken and hated, it says. Where you have been forsaken and hated, each of us have, have known the pains. We sang about it earlier, that we have chains, we have things in our lives, brokenness and pain in our lives. And God is saying here, where you have been broken, where you have been enslaved, where you have been hurt. I will take you from that. And it goes on to say, I will make you majestic forever. A joy from age to age. The idea here is that we, we are being made into something beautiful. Think crown. Think jewel. We are being made into that. We're being made into something that from being kicked around by the world, we are now being of high value to our God. What we hear at the end is that He, that it's our Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob, who has saved us, who has brought us from His rubbish and made us into something great. He's redeemed us, and that idea is being made, that we are being made into something great at great cost to Him. He has saved us from our ruin, and He's made us wonderful. says that not only will you know that you will be made into something majestic forever, your, your status change will happen, I will also make you into this city that will be peaceful for you. You will have peace throughout your life. 17 through 18, he speaks of this great city. Rather than bronze, gold, instead of iron, silver, wood, bronze, he is, is making something better than we could imagine. He says, I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. You will work, you will labor, and it will be a joy. It will be a peaceful work for eternity. It will be uh, uh, something that we will enjoy doing forever with our God. No more violence, no more destruction. We will look at the city and call it salvation and praise its gates. It's the idea that we will be in a place forever working, loving, uh, enjoying uh, our time there been given salvation from the hardships of this life and the destruction of our lives. But what's more important, above all, it's not just that He's redeemed us, that He's made us into something beautiful, or that He's given us peace. But verses 19 through 20, and that's such a beautiful passage. The sun shall be no more, your light by day, nor the brightness shall the moon give you light. He's saying, and I think we sang this earlier, the sun will fade, the moon will not shine, but here we have a greater light, the Lord, who will be our everlasting light. Your God will be your glory. And 
it's a, a glory, a, a sun, a moon that will never go down. It will never get dark. Now, I don't know how that works with nap time in heaven. But the idea there is that we will always be have energy. We will always be working, and it will be great. It will always be daylight. It won't be daylight saving time. We're going to enjoy that forever. But the important part there is not just that it's light. It's what is the light. Go to Revelation 21. That is where this uh, verse is quoted, 22 through 25 of Revelation 21. It says, John, he sees a temple, he says, in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. There it says, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine, for the glory of God gives it to me, and the Lamb is the Lamb. By its light, their glory into it, and the great gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. It's not just that we'll have daylight forever. It's the fact that we will be with Jesus forever. That's an important thing to look forward to in heaven. When I have heard people speaking of a family member passing, it grieves my heart when what they say, oh, Sally or, or Uncle Benny or whoever you can name, he, he's gone to be with his, with his wife or, or he has no more pain now. But that's not the greatest thing that, that Isaiah wants to point to here. The greatest thing that we should look forward to is the fact that we will be with our Savior and he will walk with us and be with us and, and lead us and be our King. It's like if you want this, it says, I want this today. I, I want this now. But God says, it'll come in the right time, in the right place, in the right way. And it takes us out young. It's like having a, a, a small morsel of chocolate and saying, I want more. I want more of that. And that goes back to our beginning. It says, arise and shine. Feel the glory and walk in it. This passage, as I hope you spend time with it, as I hope that you think on what God is going to do and we long for eternity, I would encourage you to renew our hope. We've had a small taste. We get a taste of Jesus. It's already begun, and we should long and, and go to where we find His glory in His Word and spend time with Him, renewing our hope for what He is going to do. He will shine and transform us. That He will bring people to Him. That He's brought us to Him. That He's building up a dwelling place and that He will dwell with us as our life. Those are things that we should rejoice in. That we should long and look forward to. I think we do that by not just hoping for Him, but also participating in Him. If we want more of a taste of the dawn and glory of the Lord, I think we need to participate in what He's doing. What we're going to do. 
gathering with the body of Christ. We're gathering in the church as we are worshiping now. We are participating in that, and we are bringing our offering here, what we have to offer Him to serve each other. We participate in the building up of the city and telling others about Him and encouraging them to come. We participate by worshiping our holy God. But I think we do that also by praying. It's not just that we participate, but we also pray, and I think we can turn to Jesus' prayer that caused the prayer that we pray for His kingdom to come. How do we get this? How do we look forward? How do we look forward? We both pray, we participate in this, and we pray for God to come. For each of us, I hope that for us, we are looking forward to that day, but I hope we can encourage each other in this way. This great vision that Isaiah gives us is to look forward and look back. And so, Lord, pray for us. With that, let me close. of what you might do. They are promises of what you say you will do. And we trust in those things by faith this very night. Just for each one of us that we turn to you here and trust that your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven as you will bring forward your new heaven, your new earth for eternity. Lord, we can be encouraged in that and be participants reflecting your glory to the world around. us from the enemy, the glory of you dwelling with us, that those things are on our minds.